You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Good morning. It's good to be with you on this Easter Sunday morning. As I said, it's the Sunday that is set apart that talks about how life is how our story ends. Our lesson today comes from Luke's Gospel, the 24th chapter, beginning with the first verse. It'll be on the screens, it'll be online, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb taking spices they had, they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. And the women were terrified, and they bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all of this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But their words seemed to them an idle But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home amazed at what had happened. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A couple of weeks ago, to begin uh, really the, the, the spring season... Uh, We had crawfish for dinner a couple weeks ago. And crawfish, as you know, is an outside sport. So we were outside uh, in the backyard having crawfish. And while we were there, uh, Robert, uh, my six-year-old, saw two lizards uh, come up and approach the table. So, of course, as any six-year-old would, he named them. And he made friends with them. And had this whole, like, backstory of who they were and how they... I love this. He named them... Olive and Kretschmar. Not like Bob and Steve or Susie and Janie. (laughs) Olive and Kretschmar. So I asked him, I said, well, how did you come up with the names? He goes, well, one is green, so I called him Olive. Like, okay. But what about the other one? (laughs) He said, well, it was brown, so I called him Kretschmar. Yeah, that was exactly my reaction. Like, what? This doesn't make any sense. But I love this. This is the way that kids' minds think. And then he talked about, like, how they became friends and how they went on their travels and where, how they wound up in our backyard. And the story just kept, kept going on and on and on, right? Children have this amazing blessing of, of where a story is never really finished, right? Uh, it just keeps going. and go- Like this morning uh, when I, I saw Lady Cecilia who opened up her Easter basket. Uh, and, and she said, look at what I got. I got candy, and then I got all of these uh, Funko Pops, and I got all of these things. And I'm trying to, like, go get my coffee and, like, get back to the church and try to, you know, and she goes, but, and, 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 and. Children have this knack of knowing that 
good stories never really have an ending. And sometimes it's hard for us to handle, we who are grown-ups, this kind of reckless abandon with how children tell stories. And it's because we have been harpooned by life. Sometimes life hits us right between the ribcage. And it's something that sticks. It's hard to remove. Children, most of the time, not always, children have not yet been harpooned by life. (laughs) And sometimes it happens when you're around the age of 12 or 13. Things that used to be fun are now competitions. Like you used to not really care how you dressed, but then you saw someone who had different clothes than you and you thought, well, maybe I don't, I don't look nearly as good as I, I thought I did. Or maybe, like, remember when, like, baseball was fun and you just went out there and played and then one day you realized, like, oh, they're not saving the best for last, having me bat in, ninth, uh, in the ninth slot in the, in the lineup. And they start keeping things like on-base percentage and batting average and these kinds of, and all of a sudden you're having to be measured against someone else. Or maybe you're looking in the mirror and you're like in middle school and, and, and you're realizing like, man, my mom had told me that I was beautiful since the day I was born, but I'm looking at my classmates and something, something's wrong. That's when that harpoon starts to get us. Children don't have it. That's why their stories never end. When we look at this resurrection account from the Gospel of Luke, it is this, it's almost like a children's story. It's this yes, but kind of a story. The scripture lesson begins with the word, but. And it says, at the end of Luke chapter 23, it says, Jesus died and was laid in the tomb. But on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb. Right? The story, the story keeps going. Um, It says that when they went in, uh, they did not find the body. Yes, the stone was rolled away, but the body wasn't there. And the women were terrified, but the men who were there told them not to be afraid. He is not here, but had risen. They went to tell the disciples all this, but it was an idle tale to them. Like, oh, here they go. Someone hasn't had their coffee yet. They all saw Jesus, right? But then Peter went and saw and believed and was, and was amazed, right? Baby, I'm amazed at the way you love me. In, 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 he, in Greek, in, New, in the New Testament, especially in the Gospel of Luke, amazed means to be out of oneself. They were, he was amazed at what had happened. Luke's resurrection account is a yes, but kind of a story. Just like a child who is trying to tell you about his two new best friends of Olive and Kretschmar. Yes, but it's a story that never ends. Every time you tell it, there's more to discover. But sometimes we can't handle that kind of story. It's too too abundant. It's too good. It's too... 
sin, sin, human sin, is a lack of imagination because we truly do not believe that God is good and that God is abundant and that God is graceful and God loves people like me and like you. And because we really can't wrap our minds around that, we put stumbling blocks in that. And it's as old as time itself. When the man and the woman were in the garden uh, and they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's not that there wasn't good and evil. Everything was good. And when they ate of the tree of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil, they then learned evil. In other words, life was now a mixture of good and evil. They began to see things in black and white. They began to see not just us with God. They saw us and them. They saw things as separate. And when they ate of that fruit, uh, they didn't experience wisdom. They didn't experience love. It says that they would be like God, but they didn't experience omniscience. The first thing they experienced was shame. Shame. And I love what God says to them in that moment, because they hide. That's what shame does. It causes us to hide. What does God say? He goes, who told you you were naked? It's like when a 13-year-old comes home and, and you say, who told you you were unattractive? Who told you you weren't good at baseball? Who told you you don't measure up to your classmates? Who told you that? It, was, it didn't come from me. Who told you? Shame was the first thing that humanity experienced. And then shame gave rise to blame. Once you feel ashamed and once you hide away, you have to blame something or someone for it. The other man said, well, this woman you gave me, she tricked me. So then God said, okay, what happened? And the woman said, well, the snake that you gave me. Once there is shame, then we feel like we have to blame something or someone or a situation. Shame, blame, and then what happens is there was a name given. The man named his wife Eve. Now on the surface, it sounds pretty rad because her name was Eve because she was the mother of all, but understand that that was not his job. His job was to keep the garden and name the animals. And once he experienced shame and tried to place blame, he then saw his partner as different and below. And therefore, he offered her a name. That was not his job. That is God's job. God is the one who gives us our identity. God is the one who gives us our name. It is not our job to name each other. And the reason that this story from the Gospel of Luke is so abundant and yes, but and it keeps going because it's, it's trying to unravel all of that. The shame, the blame, the naming and trying to systematize everything that we see and to put a label on everyone and everything because our brains cannot handle an abundant story that is just bigger, bigger than our imagination. It seems to us an idle tale. Because it's too damn good. It's just too good. And I love how when they get to the tomb, uh, the men who are there, or the angels or whomever, said, why do you look for the living among the dead? If there's a verse to underline in the Bible, that's one of them. Why do you look for the living 
among the dead. But looking for love in all the wrong places. We're going to see how many songs I can get through. The, why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for fulfillment in things that are fleeting? Why do you look for purpose through things that are only going to offer you destruction? Why do you look for purpose in a world that only values what you produce? Why do we look for leaders to fix our problems when we are unwilling to fix the system into which we place them? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. Jesus is not here. Stop looking for him here. He is alive. He is on the move. Easter does not end with the tomb. There's a difference between going to the tomb and seeing that it is empty versus seeing the person of Jesus. There's a great difference there. Easter does not end at the tomb and the darkness therein. It is a, yes, there was a tomb, and yes, there was a body, but there's more. But Christ is alive, and Christ is on the move. It sounds like an idle tale because we can't handle an unbound story. When Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead, Jesus says to them, unbind him. Unbind him. Let him go. Let him be. Resurrection is an unbound reality. And the story is still being told. The credits have not started to roll yet on this story. We read the story, and and I hope you're not reading the story saying that Jesus was resurrected 2,000 years ago. We should say that, yes, Jesus was resurrected 2,000 years ago, but... The story is still being told. It is still unraveling. It is still being unbound in our time and our place today. Easter is not something that happened in the past, but something that it continues to happen. When you gather today with your family, I hope that over lunch you will see a symbol of resurrection in our prayer garden this morning. And I hope you don't leave here without going to the prayer garden today. It's just beautiful. Today is, today is a day to get caught in the garden. That is our story. That is where Easter happened. Please go to the prayer garden today. We talked about uh, at 6.30 in the morning, we talked about what do you see? In the Gospel of John, it says that Mary saw Jesus. The first question that Jesus asks in the Gospel of John is, what are you looking for? But then when we get to the tomb and Jesus is there with Mary, he asks Mary, who are you looking for? Are we looking for this unbound reality in the person of Jesus? Are we looking for resurrection? And I love early in the morning when we gather in the garden and it's still dark because in the Gospel of John it says, before the sun had risen, they were there. In the midst of our trial, in the midst of our despair, in the midst of that harpoon that keeps us still, Christ is still raised. Christ is still alive. How do you loosen that harpoon that is holding onto your heart? How do you loosen that? I would recommend listening to a child. Because naturally, they're going to ask them what they love. Ask them what they got for Easter. Ask them what their favorite food is, and you're going to get a yes, but story. 
you're going to be listening to Olive and the misadventures of Olive and Crutchmar. By the way, if that eventually becomes a Pixar film, like you heard it here first, like timestamp that online for me, please. You're going to get a yes, but story because that harpoon isn't there. For example, this morning, oh my God, as we're walking into the sanctuary, I asked a, a, a young boy, I was like, what did you get in your Easter basket? And he handed me some of his candy. I mean, <laughs> someone's cutting onions in the sanctuary, right? He gave me his, because you just have to, him telling me what candy he got is not the same as him showing it and giving it away. He said, here, this is what I got. Like, are you kidding? I mean, his parents were shocked, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, come on. Mm, that's an unbound reality. You get an Easter basket full of candy and the first thing you do is give it away. Oh my God. That's what it's like not to stop at an empty tomb, but to see the risen Lord. Stopping at the empty tomb means you have a really full Easter basket. Seeing Jesus is when you start giving that candy away. That's what it means to be in an unbound reality. Listen to a child tell his or her story. And just pay attention to the yes, but story that you're going to get. And may that be a sign to all of us for us to live that same kind of story. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Thank you. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Amen and amen. Let us pray.